Welcome to the It Starts at Birth podcast. This is episode three and part two of questions for your OBGYN. My name is Faith Flat, and joining me on the podcast is my husband, Mark Flat, and we are excited to share this list of questions with you, which would have been really helpful and useful for me to have known to ask my OBGYN in my first pregnancy. Our goal here is to empower women through educational conversations about how to have the type of birth that they choose. Our goal isn't to help influence people to make choices similar to us, but simply have the, um, the things lined up so that they know in advance what type of birth they want. And then if there's a significant other or an advocate with them, that birth plan can become a roadmap for how things should go. One of the things we said in the last podcast was that from day one, you really want to begin planning for your birth. It can be really tempting to think, okay, right now I'm in my first trimester. I'm just going to think about what affects the first trimester. Birth is a big project, but I'm going to wait and think about that a little bit later. There are a lot of ways to start prepping for birth at the beginning. And one of the biggest ways and most important ways is who your provider will be. The majority of women in the United States choose an OBGYN or they feel like it's the best option or they've been led to think it's the best option. And so I've prepared six questions. Uh, we shared the, the first two questions in our last episode and we'll go through four more questions that I wish that I would have known to ask my OBGYN. These questions are prepared for those of you who know you're gonna work with an OBGYN or you're considering it. But if you're maybe undecided and you're still thinking about working with a midwife, don't worry. In some of our upcoming episodes, we're going to have a list of questions that would be helpful in those situations. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us for It Starts at Birth. Let's get started. So for a quick recap, question number two one that I wish I had known to ask my OBGYN was, will you be the person to birth my baby? And there's a variety of reasons that that's really important, but um, that's not always the case. So go back and listen to the last episode if you're wondering, um, you know, what what other options might take place and why that can be a little bit perhaps terrifying not to know who will be birthing your baby in the end. Question number two is how often do you induce and what do you see as a reason to induce? And the reason for that question, just as a quick reminder, is not that we are necessarily against or for induction, but that we just want to empower um, mothers to be aware that there are pros and cons of induction and maybe of not inducing as well but one of the best ways that you can be an effective mother and a mother who feels good about the way you're parenting is to be informed and then make the decisions that are right for you based on the information that you have. So go back to episode number two to check out why that's important. And now we'll get into the next questions. 
Question number three that I wish I had known to ask my OBGYN and I would ask if I was going to work with one in the future is if I have an epidural, what will the side effects to my baby and myself be? To me, one of the main benefits of having my first daughter with an OBGYN was that I would be able to have an epidural. I had certainly been sold on the idea of a pain-free birth as something that was an option to me, and an epidural was the way to accomplish that. However, there is a large list of possible side effects that can happen uh, both to you and your baby when an epidural is given. They're really downplayed in our culture and by doctors, and unfortunately for me, I actually experienced several of the negative side effects of epidurals and, in the end, got very little pain relief because of the epidural that I was given. There are some other factors about epidurals that you probably want to ask your doctor if you're considering having one. One thing to keep in mind is that epidural is kind of a catch-all word for many different types of medications applied in a certain way. So you would probably want to clarify with your doctor what pain reliever is actually going to be injected in your body to give you pain relief through that epidural. Because one of the things I've recently learned is that um, opiates are often used as the pain reliever for your epidural and one of the components of the epidural. So when you're aware of what types of medications your doctor or the hospital that you're getting your epidural at and having your birth at consistently use, then you'll be able to get a better idea of what the side effects are related specifically to that type of epidural. Uh, For me, the side effects that I experienced were um, a very short was a very short time period of actual pain relief, which did feel great for a little bit. But then as it became time for me to push, my epidural completely wore away. Um, I communicated this with the nurses and um, everyone in the room, but they did nothing. I don't know if they couldn't do anything at that point or if the epidural wore off or if it was improperly administered. I really don't know. But the pain relief effects of the epidural wore away, and I had incredibly painful back labor and had to push my daughter without having prepared myself um, through Lamaze or anything like that to breathe through the pain because I had been sold an idea through our culture of a pain-free birth through epidural. And it didn't work out that way for me. And the back pain lasted for over a year, and it took exercise and a lot of hard work for me to get my spine aligned properly again so that that pain went away. So those were just some of the side effects that I personally experienced. Worst of all, um, I was unable to effectively push very well, which is one of the common side effects of epidurals. And we'll talk more about epidurals on other episodes, but that led me to having to have an episiotomy. So these are questions that I wish I had known to ask about and to think about because I guarantee in my young 20s, if I had known um, that it was a quite possible outcome 
to have an increased um, risk of episiotomy. I would have opted for the pain of childbirth over having to have an episiotomy, which was a very, very painful recovery. And I still feel the effects of that to this day, and it's been um, almost 13 years. So those are some question or some reasons that question number three is so important. And I think that, you know, what you said at the end there is is really the whole point of what we're talking about right now. Asking questions is the key. Um, it empowers you to understand the perspective of your healthcare provider. It gives you um, the knowledge that you need um, to pursue the choices that you want. And in this case, in every case, knowledge is power. So asking the right questions when you first meet your healthcare provider gives you an idea of how they see um, this process going down. It really gives you an idea of how they see the world working. And when you get that insight, it lets you know really are you talking to the right person? Is this the right provider? Um, the assumption that the first person you meet will automatically be the right provider is something that, you know, is something that is just kind of inaccurate. I mean, we all have choices to make. You know, if you go to a restaurant and you don't like the way that they, you know, they treat you, there's no sense in you staying there or even going back. And a lot of times I've heard from people that when they ask certain questions to a healthcare provider, they feel like they're not heard, they feel dismissed. And those are things that can be a really good sign that when the labor starts, you're not going to be listened to either. So asking the right questions to make sure you're talking to the right person and the right pr the provider you're talking to um, is going to listen to you throughout the process is key. Because one thing that I've learned from um, you know being there for two births is that um, in the end, the, the person going through it, like more times than not, will really know exactly where they're at in the stage and what they need. And so if, if the doctor is unwilling to listen because they see this as a process of taking the baby out, then there's going to be a breakdown. So understanding that, and this also goes back to understanding, like we said in the first, ep I mean, <clears throat> the last episode, um, who's actually going to be the provider to deliver the baby. So that's a critical factor, too, while you're understanding, you know, the um, question number three. Yeah, question number one ties in so well with the kind of trauma of my experience with question number three, because I did communicate with my OBGYN um, that I was really concerned about an episiotomy, and she assured me that you know, you know, they were really rare and that I should be fine not to have an episiotomy. But then in the end, she wasn't the person there to deliver my baby. And so knowing and connecting all the dots beforehand is really important. And one of the parts of question number three, too, is understanding what the side effects to your baby might be if you have an epidural. And while what you'll consistently hear is that the side effects to the baby are really not even worth considering because they're so minuscule. That's something I want to dive into in future conversations, but you should research for yourself. And unfortunately, uh, because my daughter, um, you know, can't tell me what that experience was like because she was an infant and because I didn't get to experience skin-to-skin um, -skin contact with my daughter, I can't really tell you um, so much what things were like immediately for her after she was born. 
Uh, so that's something I don't have a lot of information on to contrast between uh, an epidural birth and not an epidural birth. But that brings me to my next question, question number four, which is so incredibly important to me, is will skin-to-skin contact with my baby be prioritized? And I had never even heard of the importance of skin-to-skin contact until I did have a midwife with my second child. And having experienced skin-to-skin contact, it is amazing. And unless there's a true medical emergency, that is something that should never be taken away from a mother and a child. And I'm just going to take a couple of minutes to talk now about skin-to-skin contact and um, just a little overview of why it's so beneficial, but so that you understand what your experience in a hospital birth could be like when it comes to -to skin-to-skin contact um, is that the medical professionals in my situation told me that I couldn't hold my daughter. I had never been told skin-to-skin contact was important um, and was a really special moment in your connection with your newly born child. But as soon as she was out, I had the instinct to hold her. And even though I had just had an episiotomy, I said, let me hold her. And the nurse was coming my way to hand her to me. And the doctor, who was not a very friendly lady, said, no, clean her up first. And so they said, okay, well, we're going to take your daughter and we're going to go clean her up. And at that point in my life, I didn't know I could say, no, I don't. I'm not going to let you go clean her up first. I have this urge to hold her. I want to hold her. And so that's another reason that um, this podcast is named It Starts at Birth. If you have an instinct as a girl, as a woman, to ask for something, you also often feel like it's your place to just be quiet. Uh, that's something that's kind of been ingrained in us culturally, and I think we're starting to do a better job to teach our daughters that they can stand up and say what they really want and what they really feel like is right in the moment. But at that time, I didn't know to say that. A lot of hospitals now prioritize skin-to-skin contact because the studies out there show they're so it's so beneficial and so important. But even back in 2008, this was not prioritized at the women's center that I gave birth at. And it was very, um, in the long term, I think, damaging uh, to me and to my psyche and um, to a very special moment that I feel like was kind of robbed away from my daughter and I. Some of the benefits that are known to take place when you have skin-to-skin contact with your child is that um, hormones and chemicals are released inside of your body that create a bonding experience. It really um, happens with animals. It happens with humans. When you hold your baby to your chest, those first um, minutes and uh time period that you're holding the child, chemicals are released and you get a sense of euphoria and it really helps to cement the child-mother relationship. Additionally, those hormones and the holding of your baby in skin-to-skin contact um, also can help as well uh, when it comes to things like 
um, your body knowing that it's okay and it's time to go ahead and pass the placenta on. And this can help reduce the possibility of hemorrhaging. And those are things that I'd like to share data with in future episodes. Um, But this isn't just a preference. And it's not just a beautiful, amazing experience that should never be robbed from you, but it's also something that's very beneficial to your body as well. Right. And this is not about us trying to change anybody's minds. This is about empowering um, people to make the choices they want in advance and then feel empowered in the moment to have that plan followed through. Um, As far as skin to skin contact, I'm sure there are conditions and situations where um, it's just, you know, medically concerning because maybe the baby isn't breathing or there's different situations where the doctor may say, you know, this is a time where we wouldn't do that. But knowing that in advance versus it just being a convenient thing for the doctor, the nurses, that's what we're looking for here is understanding the difference, understanding it in in advance and finding a way where um, there's empowerment in that moment instead of it being taken away because, you know, like we said, you didn't know the provider or um, the provider had other priorities because maybe they were busy, their schedule was, you know, crazy. It was the middle of the night. They were tired. Different circumstances like that. So knowing in advance what conditions they would consider to be an emergency so that there wouldn't be uh, skin to skin contact is an excellent conversation to have in advance. Um, and, you know, I was there with Faith. So as we talk about these things, you know, um, you know, I can recall, you know, being there and, and kind of just seeing everything happen, but not really feeling like I was um, a part of it. And because, you know, it wasn't something that I felt like, you know, I had a a spot to speak up. But if I had understood that my job at that moment was to be an advocate for her, then I would have felt that I was 100% in the right to speak up. But when she would say something, and then the doctor would say something else, that was pretty much it. Who was I to speak up in that room? But if I had understood, like I said, that my job was to be an advocate for her, I would have had the courage and I would have had the wherewithal to stand up and say, no, this is not a part of our plan. So understanding your plan, understanding that, you know, you really want to start working on your plan right away. And then every time you meet with a healthcare provider, you can talk to them about your plan and understand whether or not they agree. And then if they don't agree, you have the right to continue to look to find somebody that does agree. And, you know, a lot of people will have different plans. Pretty much everybody will have different priorities and why they came to the conclusion that their plan is right for them. But when, you know, um, there's a lack of ability to speak in that moment, that's when the advocate has the right to stand up and speak for the person who's going through that. And that's where I feel like that's why I'm so excited to be a part of this podcast is because, um, you know, as as much as I felt like it wasn't my spot to speak, understanding that I did have a spot to speak and I could have been more vocal if I had understood my role. And I just want anybody who's listening who is going to be in that role to recognize that conversations about the priorities of the person who's going through that are critical so you can understand where your power is and where it comes from and how you can execute that. Mark is right. Having your significant other 
or someone there to advocate for you in the birthing situation is really important. So that's why making sure, first of all, that the provider that you're going to use actually aligns with your beliefs, whatever they are, and your priorities and what you want. But it can certainly be important and really reassuring to have your significant other really aware of what's important to you in the birthing room. This isn't just for you as the mother to deal with. This is something that they can really stand up and support your wishes in because there are moments in childbirth where you really can't speak. You're breathless, you're in pain. And so having um, someone there to advocate for you is really important. If you're a single mother, having your mom or a friend there who knows what your wishes are just in case your provider doesn't show up or something like that, that can make a big difference. And this brings us back to really the beginning um, of why we named this It Starts at Birth. Because in a lot of ways, silence is something that is conditioned. Um, and when women feel like they don't have a voice, then there's something that's wrong. And that's where we need to you know, stop and assess the situation and understand that silencing women really does start at birth. You know, there's an idea that um, that being loud um, when you're in pain in that time period is is kind of like it's a no-no. You should you should do your best to be quiet and have a silent birth. Well, that's wrong. You know, in that moment, you should feel free to to express yourself and to be in that moment as much as possible. So, um, you know, it starts it starts at birth is all about the ways that society has, you know, taken away a woman's right to have the birth the way that she wants. And, and that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. You know, that's what it's all about. We're talking about empowering women through conversations that let them know that this is a process that they're going to go through. And here's some of the things that they can expect. And here's ways that you can, in the months leading up to the birth, empower yourself so that when you're in that moment, you don't feel silenced. And one f- kind of interesting playoff of what you're saying, Mark, too, is that in some ways, because I'm not a nurse, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a midwife, I just have had experiences and I've done some research, I feel like maybe I'm stepping out of line and maybe people will mock us for coming out and saying, you know, you should think about a few things. Here are some questions to ask or some of the topics we're going to cover inside of this podcast. I feel that kind of overwhelming cloud that has hung over me my whole life as a woman that maybe I should just be quiet. This isn't really my place to speak, but um, my experiences I am going to say are worth speaking about. And if I can get through to a couple of women, even just one mother-to-be who is able to go into her first birth or her third birth feeling more empowered than she would have otherwise, then I think this podcast, I know this podcast is worth it because there are years worth of trauma if you feel manipulated in a situation like birth that should be really empowering for you. So hopefully we're able to make some difference through this podcast and just really help people to feel empowered in their pregnancy and birthing journey. You know, and that's really what this is all about is us just helping other people knowing that there are going to be a lot of um, 
questions. There's a lot of um, situations where things kind of go unplanned. But the more things that you understand in advance, then the more contingency plans you can have for the different circumstances that come up. Like we said at the beginning, this is episode two of the um, questions um, for your OG, OGBYN um, to ask when you first meet the person. Um, because in the end, understanding how they see this process is very critical for you feeling empowered during the birthing process. And tomorrow, we're going to be going over um, the final two questions. Plus, we're going to have some additional things. I want to let everybody know that we opened up a Twitter account. Um, we're going to be going ahead and trying to get the word out a little bit about this podcast. Um, so, you know, keep an eye out for that. Um, you know, we're we're all about um, including other people in this discussion. In the end, if nobody else joins us, that's fine. But if you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. It would be amazing to hear from anyone who has something to uh, comment or contribute about this podcast or your own birthing experiences. I would love to hear what has been um, beneficial for you, what was good for you to know, what are some questions you would ask your OBGYN if you were to do it all over again. And it would just be, I think, great to have a community where women can reach out and talk about some of the oppression that it starts at birth, um, that does start at birth, but also that we can take some power back just by having conversations. And I think a, our social media platform could be a great place to get that conversation going. But for today, we've already covered two questions and four in total. And because the next two questions, uh, we have several things we want to comment on about those. We're actually going to make this, I think, a part three episode. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, one of the critical things here is understanding how um, the first two questions relate to the second two and how they all relate to the last two. Um, you know, understanding who you're going to be birthing with and who's going to be there for you in the moment is really important when you go on and you think about the next two questions. And then the future two questions are really critical to understand all the way back to the first two questions. And so we're not really looking to rush things. Our goal is to really draw out some of these factors, understanding that there are going to be circumstances that are outside of your control, but our goal is to limit how many of those things are outside of your control, to share the conversations that we've had with each other, with other people, and in doing so, our number one goal is that you feel empowered. Um, this may sound like we have our perspective and we're trying to um, share that with everybody, which is true, but our number one goal is not to change people's minds. Our number one goal is to empower people to make the decision they want and to feel empowered throughout the entire birthing process. While we've had a hospital birth and a home birth, um, and for me, the home birth was much more enjoyable, and we'll talk more about that on future episodes, my mission, as Mark is saying, is not to... Um, push any certain way of thinking, but more as a sister, as a uh, woman reaching out my voice to other women, just to say, 
these are things I wish I had known before and I want to pass them on to you. That's something that I have always done, especially because I have several younger sisters. It's just part of my nature. And so I want to just pass on some possible questions, some possible insight. So hopefully you'll be able to maybe avoid some of the pain that I've been through in my life and also to feel empowered earlier than I felt. So I'm really excited about what we may be able to accomplish through having this open conversation on It Starts at Birth. And I'm so incredibly grateful that you've taken the time to join us on today's episode, questions that I wish I had asked my OBGYN. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us for It Starts at Birth. Um, This is episode three. We'll be back tomorrow with episode four with the last two questions that Faith um, would ask her OBGYN in the future. Um, Like we said earlier, Faith is... um, She's pregnant with our third child due in August, and our goal is to go all the way through the pregnancy and beyond, um, just sharing the the types of questions that um, enter her mind, the concerns, and the other things, just the research that we do. So, you know, we're really excited to continue doing this podcast on a daily basis because in the end, um, when when you're pregnant, dealing with these types of questions is a daily thing and this is a great outlet for us to share the information that we learned during this process so we're so grateful that you took the time to join us for it starts at birth my name is mark and my name is faith thank you for joining us and join us tomorrow